Let's go to Matthew 7. I think that this uh, lesson on the parables will be a good companion to the one that we had this morning. And uh, just to recap, if you missed it this morning, this morning one of the things we talked about was three good habits, three better habits for those who are striving to be disciples. And those are to evaluate ourself um, and to meditate on God's Word and His will and to pray. And there's no formula for prayer other than to just pray. Now, this is what Jesus teaches, and here in Matthew 7, uh, we're, in the, we're at the, the, the closing part of the Sermon on the Mount, and if you go back to 6, verse 9, um, Jesus teaches us how to pray. He says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And it's a very familiar prayer. Um, it can be ritualistic. It can become uh, memorized and wrote, chanted almost like an incantation. But it can also be a very helpful tool in practicing prayer or entering into prayer. And, and Jesus here wants us to pray like this, and we're supposed to see something in the prayer that he prays here. And notice that it begins with the address, Our Father in Heaven. Now skip ahead to uh, 7, verse 7. And Jesus says this as he opens up into a, a parable. Uh, in 7.7 7, he says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks him for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Now, there's a parable in that in the little image that he creates of a child asking a parent, asking his father for something simple, a piece of bread, uh, a fish, something to eat. And he says, even you uh, evil parents, or you know, sounds, sounds horrible, evil parents. What he means is you're, you're human, you're flawed, you're imperfect. He says, but you get this one right. You know better than to give uh, the child a, a stone or a, or, a, or a snake instead of a piece of fish. So if you can get that right, then don't you think that God can get your requests right? But verse 7 throws us off a lot because, uh, or it had, no, not necessarily us, but it has thrown us off in general as a people because it sounds very naive and it sounds like this promissory formula where um, if you will simply agree with God and ask Him for whatever you want, you can claim it, you can name it, you can have it. And so, uh, I, you know, I need to be praying for the, the Cadillac that I don't have. I need to be praying 
for the, that lottery ticket to come through. I mean, why? I, just, I don't have enough faith. That's why it never works whenever I pray for that. Um, why, why, why doesn't this mean what it says here, that I can just ask God for anything? Is God just always saying no to what I want? Or, uh, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm really seeking for that winning lottery number. I could do a lot of good with it, too. You know, if I, I, yeah, I know y'all would have a bit of a scandal, I know, because your, your minister played the lottery and won. But don't worry, I'll be okay. Kind of like Brett Bielema. I mean, you can fire me, but I'll be all right, you know. I got a closeout clause there. So, and then I donate enough to the church that it would all be okay. I, uh, boy, that'd be a good problem to have, wouldn't it? I mean, um, so why doesn't God allow me to ask for that and get it? It's because this isn't a childish, childish or selfish formula for getting what you want. When Jesus says ask, it doesn't say ask for whatever you want. What's he talking about? What is it we're asking? What is it we're seeking? What is it that we're hoping to uh, find? What door are we knocking on? Go back in the Sermon on the Mount and look at verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 20. Or, I'm sorry, I need to go back a little further than that. Yeah, yeah, 5.20. For I tell you that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus has set the bar high, and he said there's a kingdom righteousness. And he's opened up with the Beatitudes and said, Blessed are those who uh, are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Uh, they're going to be satisfied, and he mentions all of these different situations that we find ourselves in where we might be the people who are making a plea, we're asking, we're seeking, we're knocking. Why? Because we don't have justice, because we don't have uh, what we need. We're the poor in spirit, we're those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, we are those who mourn, we're those who are meek, who have no um, um, advocate on this earth, we're, we're powerless. Uh, we're those who uh, are merciful to others and, 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 and peacemakers and, and so on and so forth. And then he says there's this thing called kingdom righteousness. Now, after 520, Jesus issues instructions, commands. Uh, in, in grammar, we call them imperatives, which is a do this. You must do this. Look, here's, here's the first one. Uh, 521, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, but whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Okay, he issues a much stricter imperative because he's getting at the heart of the matter. And notice how many times that formula takes off. You've heard it said, but I say to you. You've heard it said, but I say to you. This is that higher righteousness of the kingdom or the more internal, the more, the more real righteousness. The you've heard it said is always something external. Well, I've never murdered anybody. Uh-huh. But do you have anger in your heart? Yeah, okay, you need to, you need to be rid of that. Uh, on and on he goes through each of these. Don't pra- uh, six one. Don't practice your righteousness before other people in order to be seen. Um, when you pray, pray like this. And notice, uh, as far as the the how and the when and the where of prayer, he says, uh, you know, don't 
Don't stand on the, in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others, but go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who's in secret. In other words, this is you communing. And again, how does he describe the Lord at this point? Your Father. This is a conversation. So, after issuing all of these imperatives and describing this higher righteousness... The good news is that in 7-7, if you, you know, at this point, we might be saying, okay, how on earth are any of us going to be able to live up to that kingdom righteousness? How is our righteousness going to surpass that of the scribes and Pharisees? How are we going to live by this kingdom expectation? You're going to ask for the help. You're going to seek it. You're going to knock on God's door. That's the context of ask, seek, and knock. It's not carte blanche. He's making the point that with, all, with, with, with us, it's impossible. But with God, all things are, are possible. And so if we will ask, he will give us that power. He will give us that ability to, uh, to do this, to grow, to learn. And in prayer, we, we learn to speak to our Father. And again, what do we do? We ask, and we trust that God gives. When the little child asks for a sandwich, he doesn't have to worry that a, a basically decent parent, and I know, again, this is a general statement. You know, there are, there are extreme examples, sadly, out there, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a basically decent parent. I asked my dad when um, my second son was born, and I said, I said, did you ever um, have a moment of just responsibility and intimidation when you realized that you as a father were responsible for me and my sister and uh, the weight of it, knowing, because you know, I'd heard stuff. People had told me, you know, oh, you know, your influence and your work as a father is going to make all the difference in the way your kids live and all that. And so I was asking Dad one, you know, shortly after Ethan was born. I said, did you ever feel that weight? Did you ever feel that responsibility? And he said, no. And he said, uh, no. He says, uh, you and your sister knew that you were loved. You knew that your mom and I loved each other. Uh, you didn't get everything you wanted, but you got everything you needed. And, uh, you know, you were fed and didn't have to worry about skipping a meal. He goes, so I'd say y'all are okay. And I said, yeah, you're absolutely right. <laughs> you're basically right, Dad. And I, and I figured after that, you know, and then if I feed my kids every once in a while and they know that I love them in our household, we love each other, then, yeah, what more do you expect? This is the kind of parenting that Jesus is talking about. I don't know that we get any better than that. And I don't know who we're trying to impress by being parent of the year. But really, um, we get it. Kid wants a sandwich, you give him a sandwich. Kid wants a glass, of, a cup of juice, you give him a cup of juice. Okay, I get it. This parable functions with an old technique that the rabbis would use called from the lesser to the greater. It means if it's true here in this lesser situation, then how much more true is it of God? In other, let me show you how it would work. If we as parents love our children, yeah, then how much more does God love us because his love is more perfect? Look at what Luke does with this same uh, scenario. If you go over to Luke chapter 11, uh, now here's where we get a really good parable. Um, 
In, in chapter 11 of Luke's gospel, uh, Jesus is praying and his disciples want a lesson on how to pray. And I think, again, Luke and Matthew write, their, they write the gospels as they're both inspired in, in, in whatever way. And I think, again, this could be a lesson of Jesus that he taught in more than, than one situation. Um, I teach lessons over and over again. I don't know why Jesus would have to, you know, why it'd have to be fresh every moment. I mean, he's teaching the same thing to these people because it's, it's just this. And so this lesson on prayer may have been something that he was well known for. And, uh, and so Matthew records it, Luke records it. Here the disciples are wanting to know how to pray. They said, Lord, why don't you teach us to pray the way John taught his disciples to pray? And so Jesus says, okay, well, when you pray, you pray like this, Father, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who's indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Similar words, not exactly the same, but you get it. It's the, it's the gist of it. It's the idea. It's the sample prayer here. And then he explains what he means by this prayer with a parable. He says, which of you, if you have a friend... Uh, or which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he'll answer from within, Don't bother me. The door is shut, and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Imagine this picture, and it might be a bit strange to us, but this would be a, um, you know, a... a a Palestinian household, a, a household there in, in Israel, in, in, that, in that land. And they would have had a house, not with a lot of rooms and a hallway and a foyer and all that. I mean, it's just a room with a door and maybe a window. And it also doubles as a place where you keep certain animals that you don't want to get lost. So you might be bringing your, your, your goats and, and you know, your dogs and cats in there and everything and just kind of keeping them in one area of the house because you need a place to sleep or maybe you're up on the roof or something like that. But this is a, uh, you're, you're basically, you've put everyone in the house at night. You've got everything shut down. Everything's fine. Now, here's this, this neighbor, and he has someone showing up on a long trip coming in the middle of the night. Hospitality demands that he serve a meal to this friend, but he's got no bread. I'm going to go over to my neighbor's house, and I'm going to go and knock on his door and say, hey, I've got a, I've got a, a visitor, someone who's staying at my place. I need to serve him some bread. Do you have any bread? The man inside the house is saying, why are you bothering me? We've got everything shut down for the night. I mean, everybody's, everybody's asleep in here, and we'll just, it'll cause all kinds of commotion for me to get up and to give you bread or give you the stuff to make bread. I mean, really, do you want to do this right now? So Jesus has painted a picture of this inconvenient moment. Uh, these, these, are, these people in this parable are not moral examples, okay? It's... it's uh, it is. It's a picture of inconvenience. It's a picture of, uh, really, not right now. This doesn't work. And here's the point. He says, if the fella in the house will give bread to his neighbor just simply to shut him up. That's my paraphrase of what he's saying. In other words, if he'll give him bread just because he dares to ask, 
because you don't want to be thought of as the people who refused hospitality to a visitor. And by extension, the fellow in the house, I mean, he can't get out of this because then he can go and give a bad report and say, well, I asked my neighbor to show hospitality and he doesn't want to. Oh, and now the shame in the community, I mean, and all that. He says, now, if the fellow in the house will give bread for the worst of reasons, how much more will your father who loves you answer your prayers? Now, notice that in Matthew, he says, how much more will your father in heaven give you good things? But in Luke, he specifies uh, in verse 13, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So here we have an extra parable going along with the parable of the parents, encouraging us to ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. I'm always... Well, I don't want to make too much absolute of a statement. It has been a growth experience for me to realize that God wants me to ask. That Jesus is inviting me as a disciple to ask. And I think that there's a fear in asking God because we never want to be presumptuous. We've been taught, and that's a good quality, not to be presumptuous, not to be needy, not to be greedy. But in our relationship with our Heavenly Father, He's inviting us to come and ask. If you need something, ask. You know, if you've got a relationship with your parents or your children or a relative or a good friend. And they're in need. And, and you don't know exactly how to help. But in some way, I mean, not just to be kind. That person who's close to you, you're probably going to say, if you need anything, please don't hesitate to ask. Because you want to do something to help them. And you want to know that what you're doing is the thing that they need. And you mean it when you're asking that family member or friend, when you're telling them, you let me know if you need anything. Now, don't you think that all the more God is opening the door to us and saying, just ask. And so I would encourage us as disciples to take God at his word. I would encourage us as a church, you know, sometimes we get worried. Oh, what's the church going to do? What are we going to do if we don't, you know, if we can't accomplish this? What are we going to do? If, what are we going to do if all of a sudden these things change in the world? Ask. We are planning an event in January um, to spend 24 hours in prayer and fasting. And I'm going to admit to you, the fasting part, I'm still kind of struggling with that myself. I'm just saying, I'm not, I don't think it's wrong. But I'm like, do I really want to fast? You know, you know. I mean, I, I don't want it to be just for health reasons. I want it to really be for spiritual reasons. But I'm not worried about the fasting part. It's the prayer part that I like. And I think it's a good exercise for us to go through as a people, to devote ourselves to that, to ask that God will give us all these things 
that we're going to need if we're going to follow his kingdom level of righteousness that he calls us to. And thank God that he will give it to us. And if we're ever afraid or if we're ever worried that, you know, because there's... I've been looking in Scripture for that verse that says, Be careful what you ask for, because you might just get it. You know, we hear that a lot. That's not in Scripture. Oh, I know, there's that parable about, and we'll get to that parable sometime, about the woman who goes to the judge and keeps asking, and then he gives it to her. The meaning of that parable is not, Be careful what you ask for, you just might get it. Uh, I think that comes from some story about genies and grim fairy tales or something like that that's not scripture because scripture over and over again tells us god knows what we need he's not going to give you something that you don't need and even if we're asking for the wrong thing he might just help us by giving us what we really need rather than what we're asking for. I'll repeat that uh, story that I told this morning about Francis Chan, because a lot of people caught me afterwards and said, boy, I like that story. And it's Francis, Francis Chan is a, is a preacher, is a teacher, who's really popular right now. And I'll tell you, what I like about Chan is he reads his Bible. And um, in fact, he was doing some teaching on baptism, and uh, it was on one of his videos, and someone leaned over to me and said, is he Church of Christ? And I said, no, he just reads his Bible. And, uh, you know, because he, he's like, he's like, they was like, that sounds right. And I was like, yeah, you know, it's biblical. And so he writes a book about the Holy Spirit. And in it, he talks about wanting to, he's playing a golf game. And in this golf game, he was like, Lord, I really want to impress my friends. So would you help me just shoot the best score I've ever shot? And he said, thankfully, the Holy Spirit interceded and said, Lord, Francis doesn't need a good golf score. He needs humility. And so... He said he, he, he played the worst game of golf he ever played, but that's what he needed, not the better golf score. And boy, a great lesson has come out of it as well. We got to trust God that if he asks, I mean, we're going to him. He's not the spiritual power at our beck and call to conjure up whatever we ask for. He's our Father in heaven. Ask, seek, and knock. And he knows what's best. If we know what's best for our kids, and we don't even get it right most of the time, then don't you think that God knows all the more? Um, let me encourage you to pray this week. Let me invite you now that if you want to partake of communion, it's been prepared in room 100. So Stan's going to lead us in this song, and then Lee Beeman will lead us in prayer.